This is the one with a gadget king. The Chesterton Award. Great acting. Terrible acting. And two planets, two species, and a mineral we'll never hear of again. It's called Situation Vacant. Here we go. Reviewing audiobooks now too, cause we love our Doctor Who. Encountering we're in time of dark, Dalek space time and glam rock. Starlet films are awful, that's the TARDIS way. We're a punk in a Mary's K. That's Kane with a K. Who back when? Reviewing all the poo there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Audiobook by audiobook, even those are gobbledygook. We'll, we'll review, review them all you see, so join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Who back when? Well, hello there, podcast land. Fancy meeting you here. In the audio channel. (laughs) How long have you been here? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Welcome to another wonderful episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Mm-hmm. Fine, I'll give you this one, Drew. <laughs> That's right. That mm-hmm came from Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello. I didn't go on holiday. I'm still here. Hello. And I am Leon. It is lovely to meet you here. I was about Land. to ask who you were. Oh. I, I really was. It's not all about That's me. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> we're reviewing an audiobook today, an audio adventure called Situation Vacant. This is our 22nd Audio Who review. So it's been a while since we... No, wait. Has it been a while since we did an audio review? We've had longer hiatuses. That's probably true. But yes, at, at various points in this most recent hiatus, we thought we were going to do An Earthly Child. Yeah. As recommended by Chris Sorella. Hello, fella. Hello, Chris. <laughs> and then we decided to go back to doing Situation Vacant because we thought we were going to have JD with us. A few weeks ago. Yes, that's right. Actually, we should address this before we jump into this review, I think. So we have, at the end of recent episodes, been flaunting an upcoming repertoire of 50th anniversary shenanigans. (laughs) And we have, in fact, dropped a lot of those episodes. But maybe not all of the episodes that we said slash thought that we would be. Slash very optimistically planned. Yes, that's right. We must have planned six or seven episodes in a three-day recording (laughs) session, something like that. Due to scheduling conflicts, unfortunately, we couldn't quite make it happen. Which is a real bummer, because it would have been a lot of fun. But we look forward to recording with JD in the future. Seconded. (laughs) Now back to this audio review. Shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lullaby and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Doctor John Smith is in need of a new novitiate pupil, or perhaps trainee, or maybe some other appropriate word, and has received videos from four applicants, whom he'll be reviewing at the conference at the Greenwich Cathcart Hotel. Coinciding with this X-Factor slash Apprentice slash Charlie and the Chocolate Factory disappointeth on are such diverse C-plots as a sentient software package, a megalomaniac hacker's attempt to hijack said software package, a stranded alien's attempt to hijack said C-plot, an impromptu vampire's attempt to hijack the TARDIS, and a failed actress's attempt to hijack the Doctor's emotions. Biska over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? Well, we sort of gave it away a little bit there, didn't we? <laughs> that beast cow. Oh, we're, what you mean? How we feel about this episode? Yes, we're not. We're not are you? Are you just welcome? Are you welcome <laughs> at, at all? I mean, <laughs> I think we're going to have good fun talking about this, regardless. But okay, I was a little disappointed, possibly because I. Well, you know what? I'm not sure we gave this audiobook the chance that it deserved. Go on, because we had been informed by the aforementioned JD, no less that this was a straight 5.0 season. 
Yep, the whole way through. Solid 5.0 from beginning to end. And this was... Oh, spoilers. This is, at least not for me, this is not a 5.0. I would heartily <laughs> back that stance. That's not to say it's a bad audiobook, but it's not a 5.0. And for that reason, already, I at least was primed and ready to judge this more harshly than potentially it deserved. Yeah, and add to that that JD isn't here to defend it and give the reasons why it might be considered a 5.0, and we lack both his arguments and his presence. There is indeed a situation vacant <laughs> in our co-host roster tonight. Oh, which, dude, that is why you're here. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> which, while thematically sound, is just, uh, again, it, it adds to the disappointment. Maybe we should really clarify this. The whole thing is an audition for who the next companion of the Doctor is going to be. Yes, and I quite liked that as a concept. As did I. Yeah, no, it's fun. Because it hasn't been done before, to my knowledge. Correct. Well, yeah, at least as far as I'm aware. Yeah, certainly in Doctor Who. And it seems like it's a situation that could be ripe for satire, if indeed you can still satirise such programmes as The Apprentice. Yeah. If it's not beyond satire entirely. I don't feel like this was attempting to satirise that concept, though. Do you watch The Apprentice? No. Have you ever Goodness seen no. The Apprentice? I think I may have accidentally seen part of an episode at one point. Okay. The UK version, not the US version. See, I think perhaps how much you like this episode depends on your patience for and the entertainment you derive from watching incompetent people bumble their way through the simplest tasks. Well, the thing that I saw was like, oh, well, we're going to prove that one of you is a great business leader by having you try to distribute bagels at a bonfire night. Like, I, I don't know. It's something completely irrelevant to this. And that did not come across in this audiobook. This was like, oh, well, you guys are here to audition for the role. There's an actual giant robot attacking the city. Let's all try to save the day. Yeah, these are typical companion situations, which you may find yourself in next week. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been more appropriate if we had actually followed the apprentice model to have them do things that are wholly irrelevant to the uh, the companion role while something else is going on in the background that would actually honestly require a companion? Okay, you've lost me. Okay, I think this in order is why to, they didn't do that. In order to prove that you are good companions, yeah, round yeah. one, but, um, then we like gradually eliminate people in every round, yes. which they didn't do here either. They did. I no, mean, Juliet really. came back after she'd been eliminated. She essentially was in the second episode at all by coincidence. The doctor said, get your coat. And she got the nearest guy's coat, who was the guy who disappeared. Oh, yeah. And went to the tube station or stopped for a coffee on the way and then was in the middle of the melee. Okay, fine. All right. Okay, yes, you're right. Oh, crap. Now I'm going to get emails about this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> Do write in. We'd love to hear from Podcast Land. <laughs> yeah, keep writing in and telling me that I don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you listened to this? Four times. Well, that's no, no, more uh, than sorry, enough. Sorry, three times. Okay. Yeah. But I have not listened to this one even once with the intensity that I normally listen to the audiobooks. I have listened to this thrice while doing other shit. Okay. So I've not really been able to take notes and that sort of thing. I see. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> so when you give it perhaps a lower mark than I have, or I will, it's because essentially you put less effort into the role of co-producer. Correct. Anytime you're staging an audio play in your head, you essentially take on that role. Yes. So Possibly that is you're it. You're just phoning it in, and I'm backstage covered in grease and sawdust, like <laughs> up to my elbows in cameo actors, 
just mashing them together to make the best possible out of this script. At some point, you stopped complaining about me and just started recounting some erotic fantasy. <laughs> right, okay. So Isn't that what the theatre is all about? So where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Okay, well, I, let's start with the applicants. Okay. Because this episode essentially starts with the four companion wannabes whom the Doctor is going to be bouncing around Greenwich with. Correct. Making their video pitches to the Doctor. And the video pitches are all hideously unattractive. Yeah, but well done. Yeah, they're very realistic. They're very plausible. Yeah. But they're not people you'd want to meet. And then before the Doctor even rocks up, you get a scene of them in the conference room wondering when he's going to arrive. And equally there, they are just repulsive human beings. All four of them. And I couldn't tell the... Well, not all four of them. Go on, then. Who's likeable? Well, frankly, I really enjoyed Hugh. Hugh Bainbridge. You mean the Boris Johnson of the piece? <laughs> you had Pretty Patel, you had Boris Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you put it like that, I'm clearly not going to like him. I, I enjoyed Hugh Amber Bainbridge. Rudd. Amber Rudd was also in there. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Hugh Bainbridge for the character of a person he was. The others were all just archetypal douchebags. Hugh Bainbridge was the Mr. Magoo of the troupe, and I enjoyed that. But he was a posh, bumbling douchebag. Yeah. He was still an identifiable category that... of douchebag, yeah, just maybe one with a bit more flamboyance than I the don't, others. I don't mind him being posh. That's that's not a problem, but he was the bumbling Mr. Magoo, which I enjoyed. He was okay. also a complete coward, which was also rather enjoyable. He wasn't constantly complaining about, sorry, flaunting that he knew more or was more capable or cleverer. No, but he was he was also flaunting that he went to Harrow and him and yes. Jimmy Jibber were at Cows. So yeah, he's loved it. Loved it. <laughs> Isn't that just because that's privilege you wish you had? Or? No, no. I thought he was a fun character. Okay. See, Crumbs. my first note You're about getting him... getting annoyed that I liked something about this story. My first note about him was, Hugh's a twit with a watch running slow. And then that was followed by, Theo's a wanker with a watch updated by satellite. Uh, Theo was ter- terrible. Juliet's immediately irritated that Doc's late. Immediately, I don't like three, or perhaps all four of them. they nothing but peevish complainers. Uh, how do you feel about Asher, then? I don't know if she had much of a role in that opening scene, much of a part. I got Asher and Juliet mixed up constantly. Yeah, to same, the here. Point, same here. To the point where on the second <laughs> listen-through, I was convinced that Asher was the one who ended up being the new companion, but it wasn't. It was Juliet. It's and I was, Juliet, I was yes. writing a series of notes saying that, Asher is actually really competent because I was trying to figure out why out of the four was she made the companion. And I put quite a lot next to her name of like she's level headed here and she's truthful that Theo comes up with this plot here. And okay, this is why Asher is plucked from this shallow pool of mediocrity. But it's not her at all. It's Juliet. Juliet has less reason than Asher to be the companion by miles. Okay, so uh, hold your emails, podcast lamp. Can you can you remind me why are they ejected from this conco- uh, this uh, competition, respectively? One because they dilly dallied and uh, they caused a dematerialization or de- a wormholing of yeah, someone. That was Juliet. She straight up didn't kill the guy, but was definitely responsible for his death. Yeah, okay, and Asher's the one who just played along with Theo's plan and kind of also spurned him on. Like, let's attack this poor alien creature, yada yada. No, Juliet is Is that Juliet as well? Yes, Juliet is, uh, it's, who is it? Rafshaw, is that his name? Yes. Yeah, and Juliet and Hugh are the older ones. Holy fuck. Do you realise I'm even now still (laughs) mixing them up? Yeah, Asher and Hugh... Uh, uh, fucking hell I'm doing it Asher and Theo are the younger ones and Theo's like I don't want to 
want to go with with Asher? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know this. On, on we yeah, go. Yeah. Okay. And so, yes, what you're referring to is when Hugh and Juliet are up a fire escape somewhere, and Rapture is behind the door. Yes, and exactly. And they oh, tackle it, and yeah. Yeah, and the doctor gives them a lecture saying, well, I'm an alien, he's an alien, so why didn't you ask him? There's a word for people like you who have this kind of attitude. So she's, he's basically calling Juliet one of the two space racists, or whatever. And then she kills the guy, and even after she's coincidentally back on the scene in episode two, she doesn't do anything. She goes to get Asher's bag, which she can't lift because Asher is actually... Okay, wait, so wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Now you're just uh, summarizing the whole thing. Wait, I must say say that she goes to get Asher's bag. She can't pick it up. She has to get Hugh to help her. And then she brings Asher... Well, Hugh and her bring Asher the gun. And then Asher does all the shooting. Juliet just watches as a bystander. She does nothing in the whole hour to justify suddenly reinventing herself as Tamsin Drew, the companion for this season. Uh, Fine. You know what? I don't care because I am in no way invested in either one of these two characters. Okay. Okay. But thank you you for clarifying You get to speak now. No, no. I'm very happy that you clarified that. So does that mean that we've sort of gone through... No, we haven't really talked about Theo. Theo Lawson. Oh, yes. Okay. Hacker extraordinaire... The uh, Gadget King. <laughs> yes. Who is... I feel like it's not going to take long for me to segue into the main thing that I really disliked about this story, and that is that everyone, at some point, when they have their character reveal, it is way too abrupt. Nothing in their character to that point has set up any of it. And in Theo's case, it's that he is a master hacker who has been taking down banks and uh, government installations, and is now on the lam. There is the odd breadcrumb for Theo. One is that... He, he recognises a USB port. Yes, that is a That's thing. a breadcrumb. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for this, because there, there's a bit more than that. The Doctor certainly recognises that Theo is the guy to have hacking into Dr. That, Pallister's laptop. That's true, yeah. Rather than Hugh, but that... Surely that should have been set up by more than just, as you say, the USB port. He, he has the satellite updated watch, so I suppose yes. that's a bit of tech. Oh, Fine. he also managed to get into the hotel register. And at one point, Asher has oh, to yeah. say, oh, yeah, actually, that was Theo who did that. So he has hacked something okay, in this fine. episode. Okay, fine, fine. Either way, Theo's a, a dick. Oh, absolutely. He's a total dig who doesn't want to work with anyone he hasn't selected himself. Yeah, because he thinks that the world is too small and people are too narrow-minded to get his genius. Yeah. But even so, I wasn't even sure if I bought his excuse when he said he didn't want to work with uh, with an older person. Or sorry, with a younger person because the older people will command more respect. I think he feels so incredibly entitled. He feels that everyone should and possibly, in fact, does respect him. Yeah, when he says the Gadget King, you can hear the pride. He's very prideful yeah, in this episode. I, I think his, his comment was more along the lines of, I don't want to work with this person because she is inferior to me. Oh, I'm sure that's part of it, yeah. I did like, though, when he goes all in with his incorrect theory that Dr. Pallister is the villain of the piece. And he says, Dr. Pallister, if that is your real name! (laughs) He does a very good job of playing said dick. Mm -hmm. He's clearly not used to having his ego questioned. 
shortly thereafter, he goes, well, at least I had a theory. Like, even his mistake is better than everyone else's success. Yeah, and, and he does down people online, doesn't he? He's like, oh, I've met these twats online, and they say one thing, and then you say something obnoxious to them, and they don't want to talk to you anymore. Should we, at this point, get into who portrays these four people? Oh, please do. Okay, so, to stick with Theo for a second. Yeah. Theo is voiced by Joe Thomas. Yep. Any idea? Absolutely none. He is Simon from The Inbetweeners. I've not seen The Inbetweeners. You what? I know, we've had this conversation, dude. Okay. Have you seen Only Fools and Horses yet? No, why oh, would dude, I? Dude, come on. Anyway, <laughs> he's also Kingsley Thomas in Fresh Meat. He's not Kingsley Thomas, but he basically plays Joe Thomas everywhere he goes. And okay. then he's Martin Joe Thomas Stick in White Gold. He hasn't really played more than one role in 10 years, but that one role he's very good at playing. Oh, okay. And he's quite funny. But I I didn't recognise his voice until I looked him up. I didn't recognise anybody's voice until I looked it up. Uh, And despite uh, having heard both his voice and Hugh's voice for hours and hours between them. In fact, I, I looked them up because the women were starting to sound really familiar, but they must just have been generic because I hadn't heard them before. Well, I mean, th- there's only one connection that that I think is a little bit hilarious, particularly given the Beast Cow. Asha, who's played by Shelley Conn, of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fame. Oh, really? <laughs> Princess Pondicherry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I looked down her IMDb, and there's an absolute shed load of crime and medical Tons. procedures. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, so I mean, much stuff. It used to just be diagnosis, murder, ER, and MASH. And now it's just a whole ecosystem of thousands of C-list actors who you'll never meet <laughs> on channels you'll never watch. Anyway, Nikki Wardley, you yeah. have seen her recently. Oh, have I? And she can do a pretty good eye roll as it happens. Wait, wait, what now? Because she is the receptionist <gasps> in the Five-ish Doctor's reboot. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> And she would have done this first. So she is yet another connection in that episode in in which McGann also appears. Correct. That we did not recognize. Yes, which McGann then leaves in order to film Night of the Doctor, in which he name checks her character. Nice. Mm. Circular. So what I thought was a production team level eye roll is actually like a rather trained eye roll. No wonder it's so... So convincing. So sweeping. (laughs) And she's also been on the Catherine Tate show... Lost me. Okay. <laughs> Fine. No, it, Catherine Tate's show was, was better than Catherine Tate's run on Doctor Who, I thought. <laughs> and that leaves Hugh. James Backman. Yes. You will have heard him and seen him if you have listened to that Mitchell and Webb sound or watched that Mitchell and Webb look. I have, but He's basically the third guy. He's the slightly flabby-faced guy. Really? Who, who is in most of the sketches. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. He's also in an episode of Glow, which I started watching tonight. Oh, lovely. Yeah. He also plays the sixth geographer in Paddington. (laughs) So there are five (laughs) geographers in that film with meatier roles than James Backman has. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, James Backman. He does get to be in a really shit Transformers movie. The one that was shot here in Oxford, partly. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Because he was the nearest guy. (laughs) It's like an extras app, and they I, just tapped I it. Think that's the one? No, you know what? It's not even that one. I, wait, why are we talking about freaking Transformers? James Backman. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah, but no outstanding voice work. I get why you thought Hugh was perhaps 
the most likable character because he he does get to say things like gosh and rugger and get in but it's not just that his reactions were just really good every now and then even if it's just a really blase all right then or a gosh or what what have you it's delivered perfectly convincingly for that character yeah in a way that it doesn't seem like he was acting yeah, his, his gosh is a rich broth of tones and feeling. <laughs> yes, precisely. Later on, his get in is delivered <laughs> with such energy and verve. Yeah. Whereas on occasion, some of the lines delivered by other characters are simply lines delivered by actors playing those characters. And I was less enthused by that. Yeah. I tell you what one of the most disappointing deliveries was for me. Namely... I'm afraid I'm coming back to Tamsin Drew slash Juliet Wasserface. Oh, no. When Dr. Pallister dies and she has to go and tell the doctor, she doesn't sound too bothered. She's like, yeah, I took too long. That's pretty much the emotion that she gives Nicky Wardley in that line. Yeah, I took too long and he died. Well, Nicky Wardley is now going to be the de facto companion going forward. I know. I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, well, I I think... Because it means she's very equanimous in the face of death. I think... This audiobook wasn't really written for her. No. And it wasn't It wasn't even written for any companion. It wasn't even written for four different companions. It's a doctor piece with lots of comic relief. And in the next ones, I'm assuming we're going to get more dramatic pieces that are written for a companion, and she's going to get a chance to shine. Yeah, but you can still, with the limited lines you're given, steal the show. Yeah, like Hugh. Well, okay, I'll give you that relatively. He yeah. steals it out from under Nicky Wardley. He does, 100%. Well done, James Buckman. <laughs> Don't let that Transformers movie get you down. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you weren't called back for the last Transformers movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, consider it a bullet dodged. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we're going to have to continue through this apparently 5.0 series 4 because, yeah, I want to hear her get better. I don't want to write her off, but... Well, did you hear the uh, little interview, the behind-the-scenes interviews after the audiobook, after yes, the adventure? Well, apparently, she had been recommended by Peter Davison and had, for a long time, been considered companion material. That's also why she's in the Five-ish Doctors reboot, because her and Davison are best buds. You're right. See, now the pieces all fit together perfectly. Who needs JD? <laughs> <laughs> together we can approximate one JD, right? Uh, barely. Barely. <laughs> Oh, we miss you, JD. Come back soon. <laughs> this is grueling. <laughs> Sorry, I, I... Wait, what I, were we talking about? <laughs> How do you feel about the American accent? Dr. Wanda Rothman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, the one who says, students, terrific. Exactly. Which is exactly the reaction <laughs> everyone at the London Book Fair had when we rocked up as Brooke students just sensed amidst a whole convention full of professionals doing yes. business yes exactly so just sort of oh. stand awkwardly near them oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> that was the scene of the first major argument abby and i ever had what because that day was so terrible okay wait we're taking a time out you're gonna tell all of podcast land and me about this well we basically stuck it out by the, the way we should say abby is on the other side of this wall yeah <laughs> So she can verify. She can probably hear this. Whether, whether or not this is all true. We stuck it out for the London Book Fair as long as seemed reasonable, probably longer, in fact, because uh-huh. anyone could see within half an hour that we had no place there, no right to be there whatsoever, no function. Were you working there or was this one? This the, was just, just when we visit? were at Brooks, yeah. Okay. And it was like, go see what publishing professionals do. 
I worked there for a day. Did you? Yeah, I did my internship then. Oh, oh, well, that's handy. That adds up for you. But yeah, we were just there for no reason. I didn't even find you. I mean, that would have made <laughs> something out of the day. But anyway, we got into the early afternoon and I don't think the weather was great. And we ended up just walking to this pub near Earl's Court. Oh, no. And it was just this soulless warehouse sort of pub, or at least it was that empty that it just seemed to be soulless. And we sat there wondering why the hell we were there. And I think I was the one who said, let's go to the pub to try and inject some... I don't know, something into this day rather than just heading straight back to Oxford admitting defeat with our toe between our legs. But sometimes that is the right course of action. Sometimes you have to cut your losses because halfway down this pint in this pub, we just started letting rip at each other. Oh or, you know what? Because it was miserable. Intercut Wait, how do just- we talk about it? Oh, yeah, students at the fair. Yeah, that American accent. I mean, is she American? I hesitate to I say. I don't think so. Because Doctor Who has, has had American accents that are terrible or sound terrible from both Americans and Brits. Go on, who played Wanda Rothman then? Sabina Franklin. Is she going to be one of these big Finnish regulars who plays someone every week? No. Oh, okay. She's been in a few things. Born in London uh, in uh, 1954. She was in Faulty Towers. She's from London, so let's assume that the accent is put on. Yes. Which doesn't surprise me. No, not at all. It wasn't a wholly convincing accent, I thought. Not that my accent is any better, I should say. Wanda. Wait, what was her name? Well, Wanda Rothman was the character. character. I've already forgotten. Me too. JD has known this for years. Yeah. And the fact is ready to go in his brain anytime you like. As he's listening to this, a little part of him is dying. (laughs) (laughs) As he's thinking, oh, the the trivia I could have contributed with. These two ass clowns are just... (laughs) (laughs) We have deadened so many little parts of him. We're so sorry, JD. Okay, here we go. We're jumping back into Trivia Land. The Great. Chesterton Award. Yes. I thought that was a nice name check. Why on earth would it be called the Chesterton Award, Leo? For no re- well, right. For Ian Chesterton, obviously. Was Ian the- Chesterton a famous scientist? <laughs> <laughs> One of the first companions. We talked about Ian Chesterton just a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, he must be a pretty successful chairman of the governors at Coal Hill School because apparently he can fund these major <laughs> science awards. Apparently so. But I thought that was a nice little name check. That's probably his older, more successful brother, Chaz Chesterton. (laughs) I (laughs) bet... Chance, Chester, <laughs> who's really arrogant at family Christmas or like Christmas dinners. So, Ian, how's uh, how's the the school? Is it an academy yet? <laughs> Pass the Ofsted inspection. <laughs> I'm now funding an award in China, don't you know? <laughs> they named the university after me. This one's happening in Soho. What, this, 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 at least part of it is. They refer to Dean Street. It's oh, yes, happening they do. in London. And Cannon Street. And Cannon Street, at yeah, one point. Right. yeah. Yeah. But it's also the Greenwich Cathcart Hotel. So they must be hopping across London. Can you see Possibly, a or 20 maybe, foot robot maybe, in Soho from Greenwich? Because maybe it's not, maybe it's just called the Greenwich Cathcart Hotel and it's not in Greenwich. Yeah, maybe. But also, on the topic of the robot, the mm-hmm. robot is 20 foot high. Yeah, sure. There is not a building in London that is less than 40 feet high. So they must be looking out of the window onto the same street the robot's on, or they don't have a hope of seeing it. 
20 feet in London when you're surrounded by seven-story buildings is not that big. Well, I mean, everything is relative. They, you're right, they probably couldn't see it, but I thought the robot was done really well. And you I do? And I like that it wasn't huge. I like that the doctor even goes, well, he's told, that's a huge robot. He goes, nah, I've seen bigger. When? When, Leon? Uh, in lots of different episodes, this doctor will have, for example, seen a bigger robot in Robot as the fourth doctor. Uh-huh. Listen to our review of that. Ooh. Yeah, I like that. And I thought the audio production, the sound production surrounding just the carnage, the demolition that this robot brings to London. Incredible. Very well done. Okay, I'm going to try and puncture this little balloon you got going. Okay. With two it. points. One, oh, no. the robot roars. Yeah, that bothers me as well. I know. <laughs> yep, that, that annoyed me as well. Yep. But two. that's fine. They do that. Huge creatures or huge villains in movies roar. Yeah, and I suppose you've had that many robots on Doctor Who that any voice treatment is going to sound a bit like a Cyberman or a bit like a Dalek or a bit like any number of previous Eighth Doctor audio robots. Um, The Cannibalists, perhaps. Oh, yes. Cannibalists was better in terms of audio production. But I thought the carnage was done really well here. It was. That was... The carnage, it was fine... What I didn't like was them saying, the robot's really slow. We've got lots of time to stop him with all his slowness and <laughs> and lack of speed. And then you and hear, then gonna... and the robot's chasing after. It sounds like it's sprinting. Is it walking like a little old man who... Oh, I'm not sure I caught that. Who can barely, you know, he's just shaking from side to side, essentially, just waddling forward. It, but th- when it's going, it's like, oh, guys, listen to the words the actors just said. See, I didn't catch that at all. I didn't hear that sprint. I don't oh. think they talk about it sprinting, do they? No, but what happens is when it is approaching the cable, which they have laid across the road as a trip wire. Yeah. Well, yeah, As exactly. it gets closer they... to the cable, it, the sound should just get louder and be equally plodding and ponderous, but it doesn't. It speeds up. Okay. And yeah. why is it speeding up? What is, is the robot that slow to accelerate? Well, dude, I'm not listening to this again. <laughs> and nor should you. <laughs> No, you, you are on the whole broadly correct, but those two things stood out for me as, ah, oh, you were so close. All right, fair enough. Something that I wish had been added to the soundscape in, in greater detail are the smaller robots. Yeah. It is alluded to that there is a gigantic robot stepping on cars, and, and I like that. I, I, I'm happy that we don't get tons and tons of detail. I mean, later on, we actually get to hear the voice behind the software behind the robot, and that's fine. I love that. But it is only mentioned that lots and lots of smaller robots have arrived to upgrade the larger robot or to repair it. Yeah. But we don't hear them. We don't get a description of them. We don't get anything. We only learn that there are smaller robots. Smaller robots feel like that's another thing that should cause complete and utter panic in any city. Yeah, there should have been... Even in Soho. Where they've seen everything. They have seen everything, except smaller robots upgrading a larger robot. (laughs) That's the one thing they're missing. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't get to hear them pattering around or chittering to each other or any sort of technical, technological... Heading up a (laughs) walk-up. Yeah. Or just clanking up the big robot with their presumably magnetic feet. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the cannibalists a moment ago. That's a case where you get a fantastic impression of what robots upgrading other robots is like. Yeah. How that, what that looks like, how that feels, what that sounds like. You get a a sense of all the textures, the metal, the rubber, the chains, the everything clanking and clanging against each other. Yeah, the grinding, the soaring. 
and here, nothing. In one way, I realize this is sort of partly hypocrisy, because previously I was saying, well, why don't we have an X-Factor type show in the foreground and in the background, all of those things are happening and we, we aren't fully aware of them. Here is one such thing happening in the background. We are not at all aware of it or the clanging and clanking. Yeah. But because the stuff in the foreground is not particularly interesting, nor really in the foreground, I'm missing the textures. Yeah. There's a lot of hearsay, isn't there? Oh, look at what the little robots are doing now. You know what? I took a note from this one for our next audiobook. Oh, yeah. Because we have said maybe we're not going to have a narrator in the next one. Yes, which makes it instantly much more difficult. So much more difficult. And, and really, we have to just take a step back and applaud the writer, the, the whole team behind this and every other Big Finish audiobook. Because it's a freaking crazy difficult task that they've taken uh, taken on themselves. Yeah, something we have not had the balls to undertake yet. Exactly, yeah. And here we are, armchair critics, <laughs> yeah. complaining about something that, that a team of very talented people put together with great effort, which you and I very possibly would not be able to ourselves. Well, certainly not without a great deal of running, whereas these guys are churning them out at least one a month. And yeah. this is just one series, and there are multiple series going on at any time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In brackets, they get paid for this and uh, <laughs> it's yeah. their jobs. And I, I wish. They don't have to go to an office or exactly. sit in their front room and work 45 hours a week. Yeah, while being distracted by an adorable puppy. Yes. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I made a note of something that I thought Paul McGann delivered super well on, in then. this. And that is, towards the end, when all of a sudden he finds himself at gunpoint. This is the, the second surprise alien who pulls a gun on him. It's like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm here to... I can't remember the alien name. What's the alien name again? Lantis from Lantis. the Imapian. Yes, thank you, Lantis. So Lantis pulls a gun on him, but we don't hear the gun. I think maybe we hear some... Or maybe it's like a, a indistinct clicks. Yeah, fine. But that doesn't sound like a gun necessarily. It's just, oh, an, an object has been produced. Yes. But her intonation beforehand is clearly threatening. And he just out of nowhere just goes, and now you're pulling a gun on me. And it doesn't seem like an out of place thing to say, but it replaces what if this had been a scene in Operation Pandorica would have been a whole freaking paragraph of the narrator interrupting. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. And this is a freaking, just that one line delivery is in itself a masterclass in how to avoid a narrator. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because you So can... bravo writer, hang on, I'm finding the name. Oh yes. And bravo Paul McGann. Yeah. Writer, Eddie Robson. Well done, Eddie Robson. Nice one, Eddie. Holy moly, Eddie Robson. Young guy. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, maybe this is an old photo. Or maybe I just gave you a fantastic compliment. Eddie, you look great. <laughs> I think he's written it's quite written a few tons. episodes. Yeah. Oh my goodness, so many. It is including including the Eight Truths, World Wide Web, Human Resources. How many times have I complimented Human Resources? Unendingly. He does get paid for it. Human Resources, Grand Theft Cosmos, Eight Truths, World Wide Web, all those great. Then Situation Vacant. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, actually now you're saying that, this is a step down. I mean, compared to those other ones, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Holy moly. Eddie Robson, you are awesome. Well done. Yeah, and we were saying in World Wide Web, eight, the eight legs, he knows how to structure something. And yeah. what you're describing with this line that Paul McCann delivers is 
there is another reason for this line to exist than just to paint the picture for us. He can say it in a sense that conveys, oh, of course this is what you're doing, and oh, I've seen hundreds of people do this to me before. Is this really the action you want to take with me? Precisely, which is why you don't think it's out of line if you'll pardon the expression. Mm -hmm. It works in terms of audiobook production as well. In your opinion, was this a serious attempt at audio drama? Or was this Eddie Robson and the rest of Big Finish just kind of, fuck it, let's have a laugh. Let's let's just kid around for a a week. I think it was trying to do both or straddle the grey area because it wasn't that funny. There were plenty of jokes that were a bit weak and didn't really land, or they were a bit obvious. Like when Hugh was shoulder charging the door, I mean, I can't really find that funny. He runs into a door he shouldn't have. He injures himself. I mean, that's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? I agree. As poor slapstick. Yeah. But you could argue that just tackling this concept in and of itself already constitutes a parody episode. Yes, it is a gag conceit. So I wonder if maybe that's something, maybe that's a different lens through which to view this audiobook as well. Maybe not judge it quite so harshly because everyone's allowed to, it's, you know, like when we review a Christmas special, we go, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely redonkulous and and would never really fit into a mid-season episode of Doctor Who. But because it's a Christmas episode, there is a certain license to parody. Yeah, and this is... And we're forgiving. And this is why you cast James Backman, who is a seasoned comedy pro in radio and on screen. And you get in Joe Thomas, who I don't know if he's done other voice work, but certainly comedy is his main avenue. Yeah. I don't know about the other two, really. The, the women, they just seem to have sort of bounced around drama roles on television. Oh, Catherine Tate show. Of course. Nikki Wardley has a rich pedigree <laughs> as a comedian. Okay. And very possibly lots of other stuff because that IMDb list was very long. Yeah. Say what you want about Nikki Wardley. She is never short of work. But wait, hang on. Returning to the I'm not sure this was done in all seriousness. This is where that thing that really annoys me comes into play. Oh. We get so many suddens. It, this is from my notes. Sudden alien, sudden hacker, sudden new alien, sudden vampire. Yeah. What the fuck, man? <laughs> like out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, that's that's not the way to, if you're doing a serious drama or even a comedic drama, that is not the way that you write in a plot twist. You don't just go, he's a vampire. Oh, oh, okay. I guess we're doing that now. Yeah, you, you want to build up to it, don't you? Because I can see how if you'd swapped it around, one of them could reveal like, I'm a hacker. Actually, I'm a supervillain. And then one of the goes, well, guess what? I'm an alien. And then the third one goes, I'll top you. I'm a fucking vampire, mate. But they don't get the order right. But even that would have been comedic in and of itself. Yes, it would. But that would have been Maybe. That, would, that would have been a way that, that the vampire would have been a better payoff, I think. Yeah, this is more sort of punchline before build-up. Yeah. And also, actually, when the vampire reveals himself, perhaps it's supposed to be comedic, but you're then supposed to take the ensuing scene very seriously. This is supposed to be a peril, an imminent threat. Also true. Now, I wonder if it seems as though I I couldn't find this online, but admittedly, I just did a very quick check of it. But I wonder if we have or will encounter genetically engineered, quote unquote, vampires in Doctor Who. Mm hmm. In Classic Who specifically, as in pre-Eighth Doctor. Because if that's the case, then maybe this suddenly becomes slightly more legitimate. 
but only slightly. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the seventh doctor to be involved in this. I mean, the guy fought licorice. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, another question for you. Is it how does the vampire walk around in the day the whole damn episode until the moment he's real to be a vampire? Oh, son of a bitch. Even though... I hadn't thought of that. Even though he is supposed to be written according to blood and thunder fiction, whatever that is, but essentially, as far as I understand it, classic vampire. I mean... Is that why he gets hay fever when he's outside or not? Because I thought that the hay fever was like, oh, there's a robot. I can't possibly go out there. Yeah, that's how I took it as well. I thought, I mean, that's one of the reasons I said he's a total coward. Yes. But if perhaps he would be stepping out into the sunlight, that could be some sort of explanation. But they don't make that clear. You, You are so right. I hadn't thought about that. And they are outdoors for a bit. Yeah. They're definitely outdoors. They're, there's a robot chase. And regardless, he made it there somehow during yeah. the day. Yeah. It, all it takes is a window to be open. We never get anything like, oh, I'm not going to sit next to the window. Or, no one says, oh, you're looking very pale. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's no build-up for that. No, there isn't. What we do in either. the shadows, Guillermo leaves a window open and the Duke is toast. Yes, Instantly. Exactly. So <laughs> that so is good. sticking to the rules. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. No. So, no, well, no answer to that question. What question were you going to ask? Well, actually, I have, I have two questions. That's only fair, because I butted in with mine. <laughs> Number one, what do you think of Rachel? Well, I thought she was going to be a companion for a little bit, but then I had a second thought, which was they would not give someone with this strong an accent the companionship. And it's like, <laughs> oh, if they'd given that to an English actress, there may have been some question here about whether she might be a cast regular, but... No, because they've given it to a, what sounds like a Polish woman, they're going to write her out. And they did. So, Mr. Trick there. It, so I was quite surprised to find that her accent is real. That is actually her accent. I mean, okay. She appears in the post-credits interviews. Yes. Love that accent, by the way. Yes, we've had someone do a Eastern European accent on a previous audio review, haven't we? Yeah. And she came on in the interviews afterwards and was like, oh, yes, well, really, I just... I just I watched some old Soviet Union footage and I just went like this and now I am Paul. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, to actually get a poll to do this, I mean, great. But why now? Why here? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Was Joanna Kanska, yeah. is her name. Also, Jean Dobry, Bernie. Is that a hello? Good day. Dobry is good. Good day, lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's the accent we've had before. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> from TARDIS ugh, days are core TARDIS wikia yep. Joanna Kanska is best known for playing Dr. Greta uh, sorry Greta Grotowska in the BBC comedy drama A Very Peculiar Practice starring alongside Peter Davison Ooh. and David Troughton son of Patrick Troughton wow how cool is that that's pretty cool I think that is cool yes I mean, if you can find one more Doctor Who link, that's almost worth a bonus episode. <laughs> also starring in this, Graham Crowden, who was on The Horns of Nimon, or Nimon, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. That's a classic Who uh, serialistic. And Barbara Flynn, ooh, who was in The Skull of Sobek, which we reviewed and I think didn't like, uh, audiobook. Right. Uh, who needs JD, eh? You're basically him incarnate. Uh, I wish. JD, I wish. I've never seen you and him in the same room as each other. Why don't you give us your Scouse accent? You know, Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. JD does exist. My mistake. <laughs> Liverpool. Liverpool. But my mum's from Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so that was question one. What do you think of Rachel? Question two. I mean, uh, sorry. I, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Uh, apart from her being not companion material, by being restricted by her accent, I thought she did fine. I, I liked it when she was increasingly sort of exasperated, but then instantly professional when... Yeah. And she people- wants to get a coffee, finally. She's chased everyone out of the building and she just wants to sit down and have a coffee and then the doctor shows up. Yeah. It's like, oh, goodness sake. And she's just about getting the situation under control and then Asher and Theo arrive and said, you need to panic more. Everybody panic and run for the exits. Higgledy-piggledy. Run into each other. Stuff up all the doors with piles of bodies. And she's like, oh my goodness. It's very convincing. Yeah, I like that. I like that as well. She's a good actress. Towards the end, one of her last lines, if not her very last line, she's on the phone and someone is trying to book out the hotel again for another convention. And she says, "Mm, no, we don't cater to that kind of convention. Oh. What kind of convention do you think it was, Drew? I mean, I'm too innocent to understand. I just assume it was too large for the hotel and they didn't have enough conference rooms. Oh, interesting. Right. Why, Leon, what do you think? Well, it was either furries unite or literally, <laughs> <laughs> or it was the <laughs> convention of central London dildo models. I mean, surely Soho would welcome that. I think that actually this was an evangelical Christian convention. It's like you don't want to come to Soho no, no, for no, that. No, we are not your audience. You don't understand. Yeah. A robot just ran through this area. <laughs> Okay, interesting. Oh, I I liked when she was saying to the doctor, please don't bear us in mind for your next event. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) So I think we've done Rachel. Okay. What's your second question? Oh, second question was just, what do you think the convention was? Oh, sorry. I'll bring up another question then, or another couple of things. When we get to the very end, not the very end, sorry, I keep saying the very end, but it's still ending, right? So there's a vampire in the TARDIS at this point. Right. Here are three questions back to back, and then I'll just hand over the microphone to you, and I'll make myself a drink. (laughs) You already have half a drink. Yeah, I need another... Well, that's half a drink. You see, (laughs) this glass is half full to you, but to me, this glass... (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) So, number one, why would you need the doctor's genetic signature to pilot the TARDIS? Two, why would his blood in Hugh's stomach make a difference? And three, if it does, does that imply that there's a measure of the doctor's genetic material in the mouth and or stomach of every companion who thitherto had piloted the TARDIS. Anytime he says, take the controls, yes. I mean, there would have to be some substance interfacing between the companions' Maybe hands just like awkwardly shoves a finger into their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> it is fairly inexplicable. I mean, they've just pulled a handgun out in the TARDIS, so the thought is of you know, fingerprint recognizing weaponry. I I mean, I've never heard of the TARDIS he having he that function the, before. The, the, yeah, exactly. But but he says, so I need your, I know how the TARDIS works. I need your genetic signature. Yeah, he says he's seen a TARDIS before. Yeah. So it's all um, type 40 TARDISes, apparently. Or, oh, okay, wait, sorry, no, finish your point. Sorry. So it's not just the Doctor has enabled in the TARDIS a particular mode where it will only respond to his genetic material and maybe, otherwise just or maybe it's just a, mobile forever. I mean, he's in an old model TARDIS. Maybe the vampire has seen a newer model TARDIS that 
can only operate on the Judge Dredd principle of it takes a little blood sample every time you pull the trigger. But then the Doctor would need to know what type of TARDIS he's seen to make sure that his plan to trick the vampire would work. So I don't think that can be Does the Doctor know that... The Doctor doesn't know that the vampire is going to take a blood sample. I think he does, because he does. Because he said, I've pumped myself full of antibodies, yeah. But but that might just be a case of, well, I'm going to be sharing a TARDIS with a vampire for at least two minutes. I'm not going to take any chances. You know what that is? That's like... Okay, here's the thing. All right. (laughs) No, wait, I can't use this example. Okay. (laughs) Have you got any less explicit examples? Wait, hang on, I'm thinking about it. Any less personal examples? (laughs) No, no, got nothing. (laughs) So I've got no answer to your three questions. I think you've just opened up my eyes to the possibility of there being a different TARDIS or a different mode in a different TARDIS. And maybe that's something that we will revisit later on. Because surely this, if nothing else, this episode, this, sorry, this audiobook sets up a whole bunch of clues. Yeah. Or, well, it's just, I mean, this is the setup of the rest of the season. It's as though this is almost just the teaser for a real episode or a real series sequence of episodes of Doctor Who. Yes, because some other time traveller appears to be out there and organising conferences, masquerading as the Doctor, looking for companions. Potentially masquerading as the Doctor. Potentially, yes. And there's some poor devil ended up getting the job, apparently, maybe. So So there is a companion of sorts out there somewhere. Yes, perhaps with another time traveller. And... And someone else hired... What's her face? I've already forgotten her name again. To kill said time traveller. Yes. Yes, exactly. There's a case of mistaken identity. Lantis. Yes. Lantis. And I feel like there's... I mean, the vampire is just a massive loose end. What? What? Yeah, sorry. That's the intonation I'm going for. What? Yeah. Vampire? What? It's, it's, an, it's annoying that it's fallen apart this badly because I have a note that says... It's a nice device to have the Doctor's genetic signature transfer into Hugh via a good neck suck so he can work the TARDIS. And then that sets up the Doctor being one step ahead and how he could provide an explanation for how he knew he was a vampire because the Doctor cottons on. Actually, no, the Doctor only cottons on that Hugh's a vampire, I think, when Hugh steps into the time distortion field and doesn't really age. So that leaves the Doctor about... 48 seconds to pump himself full of antibodies (laughs) to be proof against this vampire. But then I said that my note concluded with presetting the destination, the doors opening and sucking him out onto the dark side of Mercury is like a much better version of the ending to resolution with the Dalek and Jodie Whittaker. Oh yeah. Where they open the doors and the Dalek flies out eventually once they can make it let go of everybody. So I wanted to like this ending, but it has just been torn to pieces, as far yeah, as I can sorry. tell. Sorry. I like what it sets up, though. I like all the all those bits that we didn't get to hear in this audiobook, but that it sets up very nicely. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. There may yet be some delayed payoffs that make this story a little more worthwhile. Yeah. Even than just introducing the next companion. True. We, we haven't been talking about the eighth elephant in the room. McGann. You said this was a doctor piece. So wax lyrical, why don't you? Good afternoon, I am the doctor. I like McGann. 
Megan, as, I mean, I obviously I, I love Megan in general, but I like Megan in this. Do you yeah. not? Sorry, it seems like you're disappointed by him. Well, I was a bit disappointed, and this ties into some of the interviews he did at the end. Oh, by his attitude, or by the attitude they gave the doctor in this episode, because at, at some points he was supposed to be a bit like a rude, brusque Alan Sugar type figure yeah. putting down the companions and sometimes it was fine because they were genuine idiots and they deserved it but some of the other times it just seemed like the doctor was as irritable as they were and it without being able to see the twinkle in his eye or some conciliatory softness in his body language yeah just having that starkly presented you to you in audio without being that familiar with him makes him sound like a bit of a dick hmm. like when he says listen while you're taking it in i might just try to save the day and he could not be more contemptuous of, hmm, I believe it's Juliet, who has disappointed him once again. Oh my goodness, you're right. Yes. That's uh, maybe a little out of character. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you're but right. No, 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 okay, okay. You are that, right about, well, you're just, right about that. In yes. general, though, I, I, I like them. The reason I said that this was a doctor piece is because it's not an alien piece, it's not a, a conspiracy piece, it's not a companion piece, and it's also not a, you know, human of the week piece. As in, it's not a historical, it's not about some historical character who yep. is of greater significance than the Doctor or even uh, four companions. Yeah, King James I springs to mind. So it must be a Doctor piece. The Doctor is the only Doctor who thing about this episode. Yes, that and a robot on a TARDIS. But that's every sci-fi thing. Y- yes. Oh, the TARDIS, fine. Yeah, okay. But you know what? We don't even get a bigger on the insides in the TARDIS. He references it, but then we don't even get it. Yeah, you're so right. So even the TARDIS element of this... Oh, there's no time travel in this one. No. There's no time travel. There is some space travel, but not much. Yeah, the robots get the time distortion field technology from the TARDIS. Yeah. That's the one thing. But but that's also just used to try to hide the TARDIS. Well, uh, whatever. Who? Or to hide the robots themselves, I think. Oh, really? I think so. Okay. Well... Which is... An, let's put a pin in that. Okay. All right. Well, just to very briefly conclude that point then. So, so this is... It's a Doctor piece in that the Doctor is the only intact element of any Doctor Who story that we get to experience in this one. And everything else is simply, because we are told, set in the same universe as Doctor Who. Yeah. That's it. It's not that it breaks the rules, it's that it doesn't even, it's never forced to abide by them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, let's get to your pin. What were you going to say? So, the little robots are brought to the attention of the Doctor by the following exchange. Virtual Pallister tells the Doc and Theo, who's also there, Good news, I've delivered your message to every system infected with the program. And then the doctor says something like, nah, it's not good news, actually. And then immediately, Virtual Palliser says, well, there does happen to be one other lot of little robots. It's fascinating, blah, blah, blah. Which frankly contradicts his previous conversational turn. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Wait, wait, sorry. How does that contradict it? Because he says, I've delivered the message to all the robots and there's no small band of robots that are in any way exceptional in which I would like to tell you about. 100% has been completed. Oh dear, I was really hoping it would be 99. Well, as it happens, you're in luck. There's this other <laughs> band of robots. Let's see what you're saying. It's, uh... Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but McGann, there are positives. Yeah. What, my one negative doesn't take away from the fact that he gets to be a grown-up 
telling people not only what they should be doing, but what he expects in a companion and outlining some of the character traits that they should have, which is they have to be able to deal calmly with consternation and panic, and they he will rely on their goodness and kindness and fairness and sense of morality, and he gets to reel off a few of those things. Mm. And that's nice. He gets to set out his stall. You learn a bit about the Doctor's character in yeah. this episode. While all this crap is flying around, sure. in the middle, he is actually grounding it. Sure, but not tons, though. Well, not tons. No, not tons. He doesn't have massive expo dumps like poor Wanda Rothman. Uh, true. <laughs> Who takes us through the entirety of her appointments and schedule for the conference to date at one point. And I'm just like, Wanda, stop. And it, it was at that point I began to think, did they not have enough material for this episode? They seem to be padding out the hour a bit. It seems to start off with a two or three minute preview of another episode. And then after a long pause, there's a music cue, which doesn't go anywhere. And then in the file, the audio file, about two minutes 20 is when the actual adventure starts. <laughs> Bit underwritten, I think. Yeah, I think I, I have to agree with you. Have you got any more points, or are we bordering on ratings territory? Uh, bordering on it, certainly. As someone who's off to Frankfurt Book Fair on Tuesday, oh, a lot of beds weren't slept in, but that's par for the course for any conference. Yeah, I think Eddie Robson <laughs> has been to a few conventions. Raising eyebrows. Uh, how about if... if uh, how about we go for dinner and maybe I'll see about naming a character after you for uh, play cards, right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the alien looks like? I mean, I picture Rafshaw as being fairly small. Yeah. The other two are able to carry him, although he is fairly heavy. Oh, goodness, I, I don't know. I didn't really exert much imaginative strength on it because, for one thing, Asher is an alien and she's clearly indistinguishable from a human. Correct. So this other alien the time lord who is likewise indistinguishable from humans yeah so although rafshaw's got a funny voice i didn't really think beyond the three-eyed aliens in toy story who he sounds a (laughs) tiny bit like actually you're right but that's another example of you know sudden alien of not just sudden alien arrival but sudden alien departure sudden alien shows up is a fun alien a bit of comic relief and slapstick. Oh, they'll put his back out. I'll give you a lift home. And then gone. That being said, I've added what does the alien look like right next to good acting throughout, particularly from Hugh. But this was quite early on in the audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we have ragged on this episode yeah. severely. Mm-hmm. But when you're being born along with it, and perhaps as you found doing other stuff at the front of your brain, it's not that unpleasant to listen not to. Not at all. Not at all. No. I, the only reason I'm probably not going to re-listen to this one is that there are so many audiobooks left to listen to a first time. That's why I'm not going to revisit And better one. ones that you could re-listen to. Sure, that too. Including other ones by Eddie Robson. Yeah. Yeah. One bad thing and one good thing. Okay. One bad thing, I don't even remember this myself, but it's time for a sound bite. I've just added a note saying, I don't like the music 40, 41 minutes in. So that's that music. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and an excellent line delivered by Paul McGann again towards the end. These are the problem candidates like megalomaniacs, murderers, vampires, and actresses. <laughs> yes. Which, while funny, is also ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, but yet more arguments for this uh, being a comedic episode. Yes, but at the same time, another argument for Tamsin Drew being just the most unsuitable companion and this episode doing nothing right, to set her up for the role. Oh my goodness, you're so right. Yeah. It also seems like he is more interested in traveling with Rachel towards the end. Oh, definitely. Tamsin is the only one left standing. Much like Charlie in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because all the others get sucked up chocolate pipes and get turned into giant blueberries or shrunk down in a television. And Charlie is just the only option left at the end who hasn't been a vampire or an alien or whatever the other one was. A dick. Yeah, just a massive <laughs> dick with a tiny dick. <laughs> one assumes. Yeah. And also that last speech where Tamsin's really laying it on thick about, I used to get parts for legs and now now it's all anti-wrinkle cream. So are we meant to feel sorry for her? Is that why that's happening? Or is, oh, sorry, rather, is the doctor meant to feel sorry for her? Possibly, but I don't see why he would be after the performance she's given in the last hour. Is it that he maybe also saw the leg wax commercial that really piqued Hugh's interest? Maybe. Could if be. so, great radio. <laughs> 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 I suppose it's left to your imagination. You know, Im- imagine your favourite leg. There you go, 5.0. Yep. <laughs> I'm doing it. Doing it right now. <laughs> hmm. All right, shall we rate this? I think we've stumbled that far. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Okay, so this is an episode with Tamsin Drew and Drusus in it. Drusus the vampire. Yes, Drew, carry on. And despite my surname's sake and vampire doppelnamer, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> Doppelfanger. I mean, Double fa- Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Leon. Thank uh, you. Thank you. This guy right here. Worth it. 276 <laughs> episodes. Worth it for that. Despite all that. Well, because of all that, it's, it just seems to lack imagination and work and input into this episode. In some ways, the soundscape is, is fine and it's arresting. And there's always something going on. But we've said what we don't like about it, and there's a lot, and Tamsin Drew must develop from here. But if you're playing an actress who is constantly disappointing your audience, i.e. the Doctor, maybe think on your feet and improvise some competence for your character. You don't have to carry on being a clueless numpty. So, this is really average. I listened to this the first time while working, and I thought it was enjoyable enough en passant to be sort of three-ish, but listening to back back to it again, even though there were some setups of the characters that explained their subsequent transformations, although I'm not convinced that Hugh the Vampire was actually set up in any way, there was more to weigh it down, and so it came crashing down, and we've just knocked off the spots and the stripes and any other colouring from it at this point. I can't give it a 2. I've got to give it a 1.8. Okay. <laughs> 1.8 from Drew. And all my audios to this point have been rated over three. This doesn't come... I mean, even the cannibalists. Have they read it? Yeah. I, I really yeah, I don't think this comes close. It doesn't. I know. I, I'm so sorry. But okay. What else is there left to say, really? Couldn't relate to the characters whatsoever. 
for a for an episode that for me from start to finish seemed to be this it only exists for comic relief was not particularly comedic i never laughed out loud I, that's in my notes that is genuinely oh, really? in my notes <laughs> So it's not a fun episode. It's not dramatic. It didn't bring me to tears. It didn't sway me to emote in any particular fashion. But it was, uh, for lack of a better word, it was harmless. It didn't cause me any greater harm to listen to this episode thrice. Mm. But similarly, I didn't learn anything else about it. You know, some of the audiobooks and some of the TV episodes and, and I'm sure even the movies, including the Cushing ones here now, you re-listen or re-watch them over and over again and every single time you distinguish some thitherto unknown detail about them. And in this case, I knew all there was to know about this. Well, I mean, all there was to know by me about this because clearly still after three listenings, I, I still don't know all about it. Yeah, and there's nothing you can learn more about Tam. Tamsin Drew because she is acting as a different character for 98% of it. Yeah, so it feels a little bit like it's a letdown only because it feels like a failed setup for the rest of the series. And as such, I'm very sorry I'm not going to give this the 5.0 I was anticipating giving this one. Instead, I'm going for... You gave this 1.8, you say? Yep. Well, I have written down 1.7. Well... And nothing else to add. 1.7 and 1.8, by the way, not bad ratings, really. They're just subpar. Yeah, exactly. We by know, Doctor Who standards. Yeah, and we know Eddie Robson can do so much better. The last ones! Wait, seriously, let's look this up. What did we give his last ones? Gotta go to episode ratings. Podcast land! Head on over to whobackwhen.com. Did you know that there's a brand spanking new website on there? <gasps> it looks great! So here we go. I'm on the episode ratings page. Uh, Eight Truths and World Wide Web. 3.8 from me, 3.7 from you. Oh, this is very symmetrical. Yeah. Uh, what else did we say that he'd written? Human Resources, Gra of course. Grand Theft Cosmos. I gave that 4.5. Yeah. Skull of Sobek, 1.9. <laughs> Human Resources, 4.7. Yeah. Well, you know yeah. what? This episode had a lot of different balls to juggle, I suppose. And it just ended up being less than the sum of its parts. It didn't quite achieve any of the objectives Big Finish set for it. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess it was just pulled between too many points. Yeah. From pillar to post. Yeah. If JD remembers most of Series 4 as being 5.0s, we are going to encounter some quality soon. Oh, yeah. And we oh, are going to yeah. appreciate that for what it is. Undoubtedly. Well, I know that someone else has uh, shared a rating. Oh, yes. A member of Podcast Land. Shall we have a listen? Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Right, Rooney and Cheese Nozzles. We have a listener mini, and this one comes from Chris Z. Hi, Chris. Hello, Chris. <laughs> it's Chris Z here. Chris Z starts. I'm still listening, but don't have as much time to write minis. Fret not, Chris. I we have... don't have as much time to record <laughs> audios. I have really gotten into the audios, and I'll try to keep the audio minis coming in the future. Hot. <laughs> on to the mini he says situation vacant was pretty good for not having lucy in it you know what we didn't really talk about that but that's a good point i also like the audition aspect tamsin drew wouldn't have been the one i would have eliminated first she also would not have been my pick aisha was great until she was written off by i don't think we'd mesh well really that's it 
Instead, we get Tamsin, merely because she's the last one left and has a sob story about auditions. I like Tamsin better than some companions, but she's like Martha following Rose. She just isn't quite good enough. No more on that. Spoilers. (laughs) I did like the episode enough. Middle of the road, 2.5. Fair enough, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. And no, that is a very good point. We've just lost a companion whom we loved. Big shoes to fill. What's going to happen? Well, she could steal the show a bit more. She could be a bit less anonymous. There are better introductions. Ugh. Martha in her first episode for the first 30 minutes. Was not bad. Yeah. Was not bad. Until that smooch. Bad. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Keep um, coming. And we will. Intermittently. Well, absolutely. Dude, final season of the EDAs. Not final season because they're apparently making more. Yeah. And we will review An Earthly Child at some point. That's right. I've already listened to it. I loved it. Ah, I love it. Spoilers. So what have we got coming up next? (laughs) I say and shrug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we all know by now, your next classic is going to be The Talons of Weng Chiang. Correct. And who knows when that's going to be dropping because uh, Marie and Jim are off gallivanting around the world for a couple of weeks. And yeah, so a couple of weeks minimum. (laughs) Yep. The next new who is also going to have to wait for their return, and that's going to be... The Time of the Doctor! That's right. That's Smith's farewell. In the meantime, we, as previously alluded to, may or may not have another 50th anniversary-related bonus episode, TBC. Schedules permitting is the only... That's the only problem. That's the only challenge we are facing. Yep. Aside from that, you know what? We're going to fill some time, if I'm honest with you. We'll probably drop a blooper reel. (laughs) Hey, lovely. And the next audio will be an earthly child, probably. Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure it out. You know what? Just keep your ear to the ground, podcast land. You know how the internet works. Yeah, stick with us. We'll get there in the end. Exactly. In the meantime, feel free to badger us online for more episodes. Drew can be found at... You can cull my Tweety Badger at Drew Back When. (laughs) Excellent branding. (laughs) And you can high-five me online and complain about the lack of new episodes at Ponkin. Figure out how to spell it. Yeah, or or send your abuse (laughs) to someone with a very similar name. (laughs) I am at Pronkin. I don't know what you are talking about. Uh, I don't know what that was. At Pronking? Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. You have been an absolutely wonderful audience. Until the next time, rock on. Be right next to each other. Cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?